Berkeley Yeast, creators of the bioengineered yeast, Tropics, and the newly launched Sunburst Chico, are now offering free overnight shipping on domestic orders of $1,000 or more. All California orders ship free. Berkeley Yeast, ordinary yeast made extraordinary. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. No alcohol, low alcohol beer. How to answer to this global trend? Discover Saf Brew LA01, a Saccharomyces Chevalier yeast specifically selected for the production of NABLAB. This yeast assimilates simple sugars, glucose, fructose, and sucrose, and is characterized by a subtle aroma profile. Want to learn more about Fermentus's no-alcohol, low-alcohol solution? Visit www.fermentus.com. Britannomyces can also produce a variety of acids and esters, and there are a ton. It's not that you're creating a different kind of lactic acid, it's that the other variables in the beer are presenting that perception of lactic acid to be more sharp. This week on the show, flavors and mixed fermentations. Hi, I'm Jen Blair and I'm the exam manager for the Cicerone certification program. I am based out of Atlanta, Georgia. Jen, you gave a presentation earlier this year during a District Eastern Canada meeting. The topic was flavors and mixed fermentation. I was told that it was very well received and that we should absolutely discuss it here on the podcast. So here we are. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. This is a big honor to be on this podcast. Well, we're glad you're here. Let's talk about mixed fermentations. Most listeners probably have a pretty good idea of what that means, but how about giving us some definitions or categories or anything else you want to say to set the stage for discussion about flavors and mixed fermentations? When we're talking about mixed fermentation, I find that it's, like you just asked, it's it's really great to start out with just a base definition to make sure everyone's on the same page. So when we're talking about mixed fermentation, we're talking about a fermentation that's going to be a combination of Saccharomyces, so brewer's yeast, and either Lactobacillus, Pediococcus, or Britannomyces. And with mixed fermentation as a category, we can actually 
break it down into two broad categories. So the first category is going to be mixed fermentation with lactic acid bacteria. So that's going to be a mixed fermentation that's going to have Saccharomyces and Lactobacillus and or Pediococcus. And then we have mixed fermentations without lactic without lactic acid bacteria, and that's going to be Saccharomyces and Britannomyces. We'll, we'll get in deeper into the flavors here in a few minutes, but do you want to talk a little bit about maybe some of the key differences between those two buckets? Yes, I think the, the biggest key difference to keep in mind when we're talking about mixed fermentation is that wild does not mean sour. And I know we'll talk in more detail about uh, Britannomyces and lactic acid flavors, pediococcus flavors. But generally speaking, mixed fermentations with lactic acid bacteria will have a high acidity and a tart flavor. Whereas a mixed fermentation without lactic, without lactic acid bacteria, it may be slightly acidic due to Britannomyces created acetic acid, but it's not going to be overly acidic. That's going to have more of those wild, funky farmhouse flavors. All right, let's dive into some of the various categories of organisms that are important in mixed fermentations, starting with lactobacillus. So lactobacillus is one of our two types of bacteria that's going to create lactic acid in beer. And lactic acid is the exact same acid that's found in dairy products, right? That's why it's called lactic acid. And it's going to produce a soft tangy flavor that's going to be reminiscent of yogurt. Uh, at really high concentrations, it can also taste very sharp, which I think intuitively makes sense, right? If something is very acidic, uh, it's going to be a very sharp acidity. And lactobacillus is capable of per quickly producing lactic acid without contributing other potent flavors. Now, there's a caveat to that in that there are two general categories of lactobacillus strains, homofermentative and heterofermentative. So with our homofermentative strains, those are only going to create lactic acid. Uh, there's not going to be any other byproducts. They, a homofermentative lactobacillus strain is going to have higher nutritional requirements. With heterofermentative strains of lactobacillus, those are going to produce other compounds in addition to lactic acid. Some of those compounds can be acetic acid, carbon dioxide, and ethanol. Uh, so those are going to be our two differences, and that should be something that you sh should be able to get that information from your yeast manufacturer. Uh, as hard as it is to believe, I don't have just the list memorized <laughs> off the top of my head, which which strain is which, but that's that information is easily found out. And with lactobacillus, it's an aerotolerant anaerobe, so that means that it doesn't require oxygen, but it's not harmed by oxygen. All right, cool. Talk about how hops and lactobacillus interact? So this was when, like, when I was first starting to learn about beer, uh, you know, we heard about, like, the hops being used in beer because of their preservative properties, and that's something that kind of early on, right, in, like, the lure of beer, you, you hear that, and I wasn't ever really quite clear why until I started learning more about lactobacillus. So the chief preservative effect of hops is their ability to restrain the lactobacillus that's living on malt. Uh, lactobacillus is everywhere. It's all over us. It's going to be all over your brewery. And if you're wanting lactobacillus activity, so let's say you're doing a mixed fermentation, you want that lactic acid, 
your IBUs need to be kept at five IBUs or fewer because higher IBUs are going to inhibit lactobacillus's ability to form. So when we're talking about something like Belgian brewers using aged hops in their spontaneously fermented beers, they do that to inhibit lactobacillus from lowering the pH too quickly because if we're using unaged beers, that's going to make those, those beers overly bitter. And when we're talking about a spontaneous fermentation, the balance is going to be more between the malt sweetness and the acidity as opposed to the malt sweetness and hot bitterness that we would see in, you know, in a non-spontaneous uh, fermentation. Okay, what is the other type of bacteria that can produce lactic acid in beer? The other type of bacteria that produces lactic acid in beer is pediococcus. And pediococcus takes longer than lactobacillus to sour a beer, but it is more hop and acid tolerant. So when we're talking about mixed fermentations, just like with any beer, right, it's important to think about what you want your final flavor profile to be and kind of reverse engineer how you're going to make that flavor profile happen. So with something like pediococcus, selecting that over lactobacillus, it is important to know that, yes, it will take longer to sour a beer, but you can have a higher bittering rate for your IBUs. And this, the other thing with pediococcus is that it ferments glucose into lactic acid, but it doesn't produce carbon dioxide the way that lactobacillus will. And also unlike lactobacillus, it's microaerophilic, which means that it requires oxygen to survive, but at a very low, lower rate than what we would find in the atmosphere. And the one of the things I think is interesting when we're talking about sensory and perceptions and beer flavor is that lactic acid produced by pediococcus has been described as being more sharp than lactic acid produced by lactobacillus, although, you know, lactic acid is lactic acid is lactic acid. So pediococcus is not creating a different kind of lactic acid. What's different is what's going on in the rest of the beer, what's going on around that pediococcus. A couple of explanations for why pediococcus may produce that sharper lactic acidity or be perceived to produce that sharper acidity is that pediococcus generates a lower pH than lactobacillus. So that acidity is going to be more pronounced. Alternatively, Britannomyces, which we'll talk about in a moment in connection with pediococcus, will also produce a subthreshold of acetic acid that you're not always going to find with lactobacillus, depending on your strain, right? Uh, because Britannomyces doesn't need to be pitched with lactobacillus the same way that Britannomyces needs to be pitched with pediococcus. So it's, it's not that you're creating a different kind of lactic acid. It's that the other variables in the beer are presenting that perception of lactic acid to be more sharp. And what's the big problem with pediococcus? The big problem with pediococcus is diacetyl. So that it's, it's going to be a fundament, fundamental disadvantage of pediococcus because that diacetyl that is going to create is going to be well above the flavor thresholds. And, you know, we have some beer styles where a very low amount of diacetyl is acceptable. So something like British ales, since their yeast is very highly flocculating, 
you know, that's kind of a workaround is okay. Like nobody usually loves diacetyl in beer, but the way that this yeast works, we can make an allowance for very low levels. This is not that, right? So pediococcus is going to produce a lot of diacetyl above the flavor threshold to the point that it's going to be considered a flaw. And the reason it does this is that pediococcus doesn't have those enzymes to reduce diacetyl the same way that Saccharomyces does. So your options are you can have a very diacetyl heavy beer uh, or you can pitch Britannomyces with pediococcus because pediococcus will produce that diacetyl, Britannomyces will convert that diacetyl into tasteless byproducts. And when we're talking about pediococcus, that's uh, think about lambic, you know, Flanders beers, uh, particularly Flanders red, that lactic acidity that you're getting from those beers is more than likely going to be the is more than likely going to be from our pediococcus creating the bulk of that lactic acid production. Okay, let's shift gears from bacteria to yeast. What would you like to say about Britannomyces? So with Britannomyces, it's known as, uh, traditionally known in, in the beer world and also as in the wine world as a wild yeast, because for a very long time, Britannomyces was showing up as a spoilage yeast, right? So it's it was wild because it could spoil your beers. It can create these funky flavors and aromas. And if we think about what the beer industry has looked like up until very recently, right, the last 15 years or so, the having something like Britannomyces in your brewery could very quickly ruin, you know, all of your beers. And the, the thing I like to say is like, if you have Britannomyces that gets loose in your brewery, you know, the old mentality was kind of like, well, you need to just like burn it down and, and move <laughs> away and start a new brewery. Um, and that's, you know, if you're running a facility that is making, you know, large amounts of a very neutral tasting beer, that that would be devastating. What craft brewers are learning more is that you can have Britannomyces in your brewery. You can have mixed fermentations happening in your brewery. You just need to practice very good cleaning. You know, you need to have those SOPs in place. You need to have your separate hoses, all of that. But it is possible to have Britannomyces in your brewery, you know, brewing with it, uh, brewing with it intentionally. Now it can still show up unintentionally, right? And that's what we don't want. But Britannomyces is a super attenuating yeast. So it's going to slowly consume sugars, even sugars that Saccharomyces won't eat um, for many years. So if you have a beer that's a mixed fermentation or even 100% Britannomyces beer, it's going to continue to change throughout the years. So most but not all the sugars in a beer with Britannomyces are, can be fermented given enough time. And when we're talking about time, that, you know, this is going to be as short as several months as opposed to a few weeks with Saccharomyces. And like I said, it can, it can continue to evolve and eat those sugars over years. Coming up. Uh, so this could be Clostridium, this could be Megasphera. It also is produced when lactobacillus breaks down lipids. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. 
There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Sponsored by BSG, who are here to help you keep it fresh all year with their line of fruit purees. Made from 100% real fruit, fruit purees from BSG can be added during primary or secondary fermentation to bring real fruit flavor to your brew. Plus, because they're aseptically processed, refrigeration is not required. Available in blueberry, mango, and pineapple, fruit purees from BSG are perfect for adding a punch of natural fruit to your beers. Real fruit, real fresh, all year long. Contact your BSG sales rep or visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to get yours. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. Grist Analytics is the leading quality and production control software platform built by and for craft brewers. The unique cloud-based application gives the unprecedented ability to capture data your way and correlate it across the brewery. Get real-time feedback on the brew deck, analyze correlations from the lab, and track brewery performance while listening to this podcast. Grist Analytics helps you skip past hours of sorting through spreadsheets and paper logs to making informed decisions that drive efficiency and deliver better beer with confidence. GristAnalytics.com are you sure you're getting the best deal? Visit the Lupulin Exchange, where you can find every hop variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, reviews, shipping speeds, reliability, and more on over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the U.S. The Lupulin Exchange. One stop, all the hops. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Ontario's 80th anniversary golf tournament is September 8th at Springfield Golf and Country Club in Guelph. District Pittsburgh has a technical conference September 9th at Pittsburgh Brewing Company in Creighton. District Milwaukee meets at the Molson Coors Miller Inn September 21st. The world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins September 29th. The 2023 Master Brewers Conference will be October 6th through the 8th in Seattle, Washington. District Michigan's fall meeting will be at Founders Brewing in Grand Rapids, October 19th. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join. 
Now back to the show. All right, let's hear about pellicles. Uh, so Britannomyces is what's going to form that pellicle on top of your liquid during fermentation. Uh, one of my very favorite hashtags to follow is Pellicle Monday. Uh, I follow that on Instagram uh, just so you can see all the beautiful pellicles. Although it's, you know, you shouldn't be, you you really shouldn't be like taking your bong out or whatever to take pictures of your pellicle, um, which I understand is very hard not to do because they just look so cool. <laughs> But that pellicle is going to guard against oxidation during the long fermentation process, and it's also going to protect against unwanted mold and acetobacteria. And that's why, you know, you'll hear like, don't disturb your pellicle because it's there, it's protecting the beer underneath. And that's kind of where the danger comes in when you're wanting to take pictures of it. So Britannomyces can also produce a variety of acids and esters, and there are a ton. There's actually a Britannomyces flavor wheel that is specific just to all those flavors that Brett can produce. And Britannomyces is also going to produce the phenols 4-ethylphenol and 4-ethylguayacol. And those are going to be indicative of Britannomyces growth, whether it's intended or unintended. So if you think of a mixed firm beer that's been made with Brett, you want those funky farmhouse flavors and the different flavors you get are going to depend on the strain of bread that you're using. If you're not wanting bread, if this is an unintentional appearance of bread in your beer, those phenols are going to be what's going to give you the clue that this is probably some kind of Britannomyces wild yeast contamination that's happened in my beer. And there, I mean, there are a ton of acids and also esters that Brett can create, particularly because Brett is very good at esterifying acids down into different esters. And like I said, we've got, you know, there's a Britannomyces flavor wheel out there. I know I have my personal preferences when it comes to the type of Brett or Brett blends in a beer that I like and dislike, uh, but that, you know, the, it can create just a whole host of flavors. And again, those flavors can also evolve over time, especially as Britannomyces is esterifying those acids down into esters. All right, let's take a deeper dive into some of the flavors that were highlighted in your district presentation. Let's first hear more about lactic acid. Lactic acid, out of everything we'll discuss today, is definitely going to be the one that most people are going to be the most familiar with. It's also usually going to be pretty accessible, right? Because you can go downstairs and smell your yogurt or something like that to understand what lactic acid is. Or if you're using lactic acid to acidify your brewing water, you know, you might you might just have a, a, a container of lactic acid that you can smell. Uh, so this is going to give us a very bright kind of sourness. It's going to be reminiscent of yogurt. One thing that I like to tell people to do when you've got something that you suspect may have lactic acid, or let's see, you're trying to figure out, you know, how, how to train your palate to detect lactic acid. A really great way to do that is to plug your nose and then take a sample of the beer in your mouth and you will be able to feel that acidity on your mouth, right? So that's one of our five senses that we can we can detect with our tongue and with our other um, papilla all over our mouth. Lactic acid can also have a somewhat drying effect 
on the palate. And for me, that's that's more of kind of an, an advanced palate perception. If you're just learning your different flavors and you're or you're just learning about lactic acid, really concentrate on finding that acidity, that sourness on your palate rather than trying to think like, does my mouth feel dry or not? But that is something that as you get more exposure to it, you will start to notice that if the acidity you're tasting is lactic, it is going to have a drying effect on your palate. And lactobacillus and pediococcus, like we said, uh, both uses lactic acid fermentation. Acidulated malt can also contribute a lactic flavor if you're, you know, if you're following Reinheitsgebot and you, you're not acidifying your mash with, you know, with something like lactic acid, acidulated malt can also be used. And that can also be used if you're wanting to produce lactic acid, say, for um, maybe a kettle sour or something like that. Uh, if you didn't put lactic acid into your beer intentionally, the presence of lactic acid can also indicate an infection. All right. Okay, next up is isovaleric acid. Yes, isovaleric acid. I have a real love-hate relationship with isovaleric because I love blue cheese, and that's one of the main I'm going to just go with hate on my side. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I, I love it enough for the both of us. Um, but with isovaleric acid, that's going to be sweaty socks, blue cheese. Some may say that it's goaty. I do really pick it up as a blue cheese aroma, uh, again, because... I really like blue cheese, so that's something I'm exposed to a lot. And with isovaleric acid, it's and with Britannomyces, the pathways for this happening aren't completely set in stone. That hasn't been figured out yet, particularly, again, with Britannomyces being used more in the craft beer space over the last few years, that's just not where the research has been. So, you know, maybe in time that will be researched a little bit more and we'll know exactly how it occurs. But Britannomyces is thought to break down leucine present in beer into isovaleric acid. And Brett is a good esterifier, so it can break down that isovaleric acid into ethyl isovalerate. And that's going to, instead of tasting like sweaty socks or blue cheese, that's going to give us more of a sweet, berry-like, fruity character. The thing to keep in mind, and, you know, brewing is also going to be a balance between the ideal world and pragmatism. Let's say you have a beer with a ton of isovaleric acid in it. Uh, you can't just pitch Brett in there to clean up that isovaleric acid. So that's not, you know, Brett can't like course correct if you have a high amount of isovaleric acid in your beer, you're not going to be able to use it to fix it as a flaw. And some heterofermentative strains of lactobacillus may also produce isovaleric acid. And the other way that we'll find isovaleric acid um, that I'll just touch on briefly here since we're talking about mixed fermentation flavors, isovaleric acid can also be caused by the oxidation of humulone alpha acids in hops. So that's when you're using hops that have aged but haven't aged past that isovaleric period enough to be considered an aged hop. So that's another way. I think for most people, that's where you would be more likely to encounter isovaleric acid. But again, with mixed flavor fermentations, if you're getting isovaleric, it could potentially be from Britannomyces. Okay. 
I remember my German professors describing this next one as baby womit. Uh, which acid <laughs> were they referring to? That would be butyric acid. And the reason why we think baby vomit when we uh, have that is it's going to be kind of a you know milky flavor and then also stomach bile. So that's, that's where that comes from, uh, where the baby vomit comes from. And also Bailey's Irish cream. Um, bile. Personally, um, I don't, I don't always mind butyric acid. Uh, but again, I'm also a cheese person. So I, as I started to learn more about cheese, I became, it became easier for me to pick up butyric acid. But this can be formed in beer due to contaminant bacteria. Uh, so this could be Clostridium, this could be Megasphera. It also is produced when lactobacillus breaks down lipids. And another important thing to remember about Clostridium is it can also infect your sugar syrups used in brewing, which is why it's always important, like with all of your ingredients that you're tasting them before your brew day, uh, to make sure that they're fit for use. I, I, I remember years ago, uh, I was preparing for uh, judging at a JBF or something like that, and I had um, one of those... Uh, spike kits so you could you know kind of mm -hmm. recalibrate your senses and a few brewer friends came over and so we were you know spiking whatever beer with these different ones and my wife was participating as well and uh, we got to the butyric acid and you know which i found incredibly off-putting and you know it's huge flaw and um she was she was just kind of like oh yeah it's, it's not bad that's kind of nice and and <laughs> we speculated that it might be because she's raised four children and has probably been around a lot of uh baby womit smells yeah yeah i used to um i had i i struggled with butyric acid until i judged a it was a prof professional competition and this has been you know like eight years ago when people really started doing kettle sours and yeah. i was judging in the gosa category and after that, I was like, okay, I will never forget butyric acid <laughs> ever again, um, just from tasting all of these kettle sours. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on to something far more pleasant, ethyl butyrate. <laughs> yes, ethyl butyrate is, is very pleasant. It's probably one of my favorite, like, isolated flavor standards. This can taste like canned pineapple, ripe mango, juicy fruit. I, I personally get the um, the powdered cheese that comes with Kraft macaroni and cheese in the in the blue box. That powdered cheese is very ethyl butyrate to me. And this is going to be caused by the esterification of butyric acid. So it's going to go from that baby vomit to something like canned pineapple or really ripe mango. Um, and that's going to be, again, that esterification from Britannomyces is what's going to change the butyric acid into ethyl butyrate. You can also have some uh, hop varieties such as noble hops that can create ethyl butyrate. Ethyl butyrate is one of, the, one of the esters that can actually come from hops rather than coming from your yeast, from your fermentation. Um, but again, you know, we're talking about mixed flavors and fermentation. So when you get that ethyl butyrate in your mixed firm, that's going to be from the bread acerifying the butyric acid. Cool. My kids are going to be like, hey, mom, why is dad smelling the powdered cheese? Um, but, <laughs> all right. What do you want to say about some of the phenols that we can get from uh, Britannomyces? Sure. So if 
Brett phenols, the main ones we're going to get are 4-ethylphenol, or 4-EP, and 4-ethylguayacol, which is 4-EG. And Britannomyces has a gene that allows it to convert 4-vinylphenol to 4-ethylphenol, and 4-vinylguayacol to 4-ethylguayacol. And those are going to be, those phenols are going to be major byproducts of Brett Brooks. And what's really important to keep in mind, particularly that 4-ethylphenol, so that's going to be our Band-Aid, kind of smoky barnyard. If you're thinking of, you know, those funky Brett farmhouse kinds of beers, when you're, you know, those, those beers that you're wanting the Brett flavor in, you're probably envisioning at least a large contribution by 4-EP and 4-EG, more so 4-EP. Saccharomyces, conventional brewer's yeast, does not produce 4-ethylphenol. It does not produce 4-EP. So when you get that presence in your beer and you didn't pitch bread, right, you didn't intend to make a mixed fermentation, that can indicate a contamination. And I know, again, as a beer judge, I've had that before where I taste a beer that tastes fine, you know, like uh, Britannomyces, you can always kind of silver lining a Britannomyces, or I, should, I shouldn't say always. Sometimes you can silver lining a Britannomyces beer and, and turn it into or sell it as a mixed firm. But if that flavor wasn't intentional, then you've got a contamination. And I've had that before in beer judging where like, the, again, beer isn't, doesn't taste bad, but it wasn't entered as a mixed firm. And that Britannomyces, because of the presence of 4EP, indicated more than likely there was a contamination somewhere in the brewing equipment. So that is really important for people to remember. Cool. Okay, this next one used to always be described as Cheerios, but for some reason, a lot of folks are now saying mousy. What am I talking about? You are talking about tetrahydropyridine, or THP, as is more commonly known. Yeah, so THP, I do get mousy. I was actually in a building where uh, it was an older building, getting ready to move things out and walking into one of the closets, and my brain was like, oh, THP, because it smells like mice in here, um, you know, in like this old storage closet. So that's kind of the first time that I was like, aha, THP. But yes, Cheerios, corn tortilla chip, sometimes fresh baked bread. And THP is another compound that it's not really clear where, you know, how it's formed or exactly the mechanisms by which it will go away. But THP is classified as a ketone. It's made up of a group of compounds. And this is just going to be a lot of letter, letter salad for a moment. But we have ETHP, ATHP, and APY. And APY is 2-acetylpyrroline. This is going to be more volatile but more potent form of THP. And if you're using a heterofermentative lactobacillus strain, that's something that you should know is that it's possible for this THP to show up in the form of APY using a heterofermentative lactobacillus strain. Britannomyces can also cause your THP. And when we're talking about ATHP versus ETHP, it's currently believed that Brett combines the amino acid lysine with either ethanol or acid aldehyde to produce ATHP. 
So when Brett's present, it will slowly reduce that ATHP to ETHP. And that's important because ETHP is nearly 100 times less flavor active compared to ATHP. So when you're reducing that ATHP to ETHP, that's going to effectively eliminate the flavor from the beer. And ATHP can exist in two different forms depending on the pH of the surrounding environment. So at a standard beer pH, ATHP is not odor active. You're not going to be able to just orthonasally smell a beer and detect ATHP. When we can detect it is when a beer containing ATHP, when we take a sip of it and it enters our mouth and our mouth is going to be a higher pH environment than the beer, with that pH change, ATHP is converted to its odor active form, which you're going to be able to perceive retronasally. So after you've taken a drink, you've swallowed it and you breathe out, that's your retronasal. That's when you're going to get that ATHP. So you're not going to be able to smell it, which is really important to note that you, you need to taste it and you need to kind of move it around your mouth for a few seconds and then pay attention to what that retronasal is. It's also a really important reminder that there isn't a, a, a good substitution for the human palate, right? So this isn't something that's necessarily going to be measured by lab instruments. And as humans, we're not lab instruments, we're humans. So it's very important to be tasting your beer to be evaluating it you know, from all sides, from every, every avenue you have available to you, particularly if you're talking about something like ATHP in your beer, if you've got you know, your mixed firm with Britannomyces, that will eventually be converted, but it will, your THP will go away kind of um, magically, like there, there is science involved, but it's still not quite well understood, but that will go away. Uh, you know, it can take several months, but it will eventually be converted to that ETHP and be rendered tasteless. All right. Well, we will, of course, post a link to your presentation in the show notes. But is there anything else you want to mention or anywhere you'd like to point listeners who would like to learn more? Yes, I think if you would like to learn more, the the sources that I found the most helpful in preparing this information uh, were the Escarpment Labs out of Canada. They have a YouTube channel, which is just fantastic as somebody who's currently studying for her master Cicerone and has helped other people go through their Cicerone process. That's probably one of the most uh, recommended sources that I give to people is the Escarpment Labs YouTube channel. And also Wild Brews by Jeff Sparrow, American Sour Beer by Michael Tonsmeyer. Milk the Funk Wiki is is just amazing. I'm always surprised by the depth of information that's available there. So if you're interested in learning more about flavors in mixed fermentation, those are the places I would recommend that you start. That was Jen Blair here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Check the show notes for direct link to Jen's district presentation. And don't forget, logged in members can search the district presentations archive, which as of today has 1157 district presentations. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Mall, BSG, Gussamer, 
and precision fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Thank you.